Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. Welcome to this evening's Maternity and Midwifery Hour. My name's Sue MacDonald and I'm the curator for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and the Maternity and Midwifery Festivals. And it's my pleasure to be here this evening. And I'm joined by two lovely guests. Um, and that's Alice Inyon, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, Alice, and Oluwu Seyi Akinlaja, who I will say Seyi because that's what you call yourself anyway um, and as we do with all our guests of course we give them a moment. start perhaps with say for your moment of the week um, my moment of the week was um going down to see my godson and um hearing him well, I, I call it talking, but it was babbling. He's, he's three months old. So hearing his voice trying to communicate with me was so awesome. And yeah, it was great seeing him this week. Oh, wow. And I can see the glow on your face from seeing him. How lovely. Thank yeah. you for that, Sue. How about yeah. Alice? A moment of the week from you. Well, my moment of the week, Sue, was when um, I met some students this week, just before a lecture. And I had previously put up a recorded lecture on bereavement and we were introducing this to student midwives for the first time. And in it, I share some personal experiences and the students were so moved and they started crying. And then I started crying and I thought I've just started my week off with everybody crying. But it was OK because we were laughing as well. Yeah. <laughs> Tears and laughter. It's lovely. But the, I mean, that just shows the power of an, a good education session doesn't it fantastic thank you so much well we're going to return to our wonderful speakers soon but as as always i'll just uh, remind you we came along with the um, pandemic the dreaded covid19 pandemic we started as a way of linking up midwives student midwives doulas mums people who worked in maternity services as a way of getting information in kind of digestible format because we couldn't access seems it seems weird now to think that back now but we couldn't access study days conferences festivals or anything so this was a way of keeping in touch and giving people lots of information that earlier you'll remember we did a lot on um, covid but we've now moved on to lots of different topics but we can't ever forget that covid because it's still there and it's still affecting people in the health service because People are still getting sick. Patients are getting sick. Staff are getting sick. So a big thank you to all the maternity service staff who are working at the moment, covering the, the gaps in the service and just keeping on going, providing care. Um, now, uh, just to remind you that this is looked after, all of this, by the lovely Matflix, who look after, and I think we're over a thousand video clips now, video pieces. Um, so if you are like my good self, looking at revalidation in the future, or you've got a project to do, you've got a dissertation or a thesis, this is a fantastic source of lots of information. 
is accessible via Maplix. And I think I've put the link on the resources sheet tonight. And you can access the, all these things for free, or you can have a, a, a subscription to the box sets. That's quite useful if you're really wanting a focused um, sessions on, on things. And it's all free, free to access. And if you enjoy tonight, you might find some of it quite challenging. You'll certainly find it interesting, I know, because our, my two guests are fantastic and that you're going to enjoy that. You will want to share with your colleagues and it might be an idea, maybe over a coffee break, to just show the clip of your coffee and have a chat about it. Because that's the whole idea is to expand our understanding and learn and take what you're going to learn tonight into your everyday practice. We don't like the books. I mean, I, I notice all my books on the shelf. Some of them I've never opened. Confession. Most of them I have. But what we want to do is open as many books and as, as much knowledge as possible and share it out amongst our colleagues. Now, I'm moving swiftly on to the news. Of course, the news, the big news of this, uh, is the publication of the maternity report by Bill Kirkup today on the East, uh, East Kent uh, maternal baby deaths and this was uh, a review that was done between 2009 and 2020 and over 202 babies died and it, it, I've only read briefly I haven't read the whole thing as yet I will be reading it but it's shocking that I know it's headlined 45 baby deaths could have been avoided and it's what shocked me was the psychological as well as the physical harm to the mothers and the parents and the families all the things that come up time and time again came up again. Poor culture, bullying, bad communication between families and professionals. Certainly the need for more staff. And we know down to our bones we need more midwives. But that wasn't the underlying cause. That It, was, it might have been a problem, but it wasn't the underlying cause. Failure of teamwork time and time again. Failures of professionalism in front of patients. Rudeness and critical people being critical of their colleagues and their staff failures and this this hurt more than anything the failures of compassion and kindness these are our meat and drink and that that was failing there failures to listen failure after safety incidents to really learn and admit responsibility and actually say to people we're really sorry and we're going to try and make sure this doesn't happen again lack of good communication with parents and families Failure from the, from the trust itself to respond to families and so many missed opportunities. There's lots of comments I was picking up as I was reading that some staff were kind and compassionate, but that's lost, drowned within, in the, within the unkindness and the comments that were made that were really, when you read them, and I would re really advise if you've got the time to go and read it, and we'll do a little feature on it on the maternity forum, it's really good to read it because we need to learn from it. We need to, to find out where we're going wrong and really change it. We need to. And also, I'm thinking that tonight with my two wonderful colleagues, they might well come up with some very good key points for us to start calling out bad practice, to start calling out when we're seeing bullying, nasty behavior, unkindness unthinking unkindness if that's possible so i'm going to look forward to that hugely now it's always all, all also still black history month 
theme for the month, time for change, action, not words. And that fits into what I've just been talking about as well. We really can't just keep saying sorry. We've got to do something about it all the way through. It's also been, we've had the International Day of the Eradication of Poverty, and that's quite meaningful at the moment because a lot of people are facing difficulties, thinking about their bills, thinking about the winter coming. Will they have enough money to feed their kids, to pay the bills? If you're near a food bank and you need the, the, the services of the food bank, don't be embarrassed to go there and, and get food for your kids, for yourself. If you've got a bit of extra money, give a little bit, even if it's a tin of beans, whatever. We all need to help each other as much as we can. Now, yesterday was World Menopause Day. So on your resources sheet, also, there's some really good resources from the Royal College of Midwives, an updated resource on menopause and caring for people who have the menopause, who are caring for women and, and families. And I have the action for, you know, I love this action for happiness. I love this calendar. Now, what does it say today? Oh, it's Wednesday the 19th. Identify one of your positive qualities that will be helpful in the future. I love this. If you haven't tried it, it's also on the resource list and well worth having just to try one mindful thing a day. Really good. Another thing that I've picked up, anyone who's into history of nursing or midwifery, the Royal College of Nursing Foundation are offering a little grant for anyone who's interested in that. And I can see Alice jotting down the details. That's also on your resource sheet because you know, when you're studying something, you're doing a project, a little bit of extra pennies can be very handy. And I'm also doing a quick call out for Wendy Warrington, who many of you will remember did a, um, a fantastic session in Manchester, talking about her work going to Ukraine, helping with health, provision of health and maternity care, but also taking food and supplies and healthcare. And she's gone back this week. So good on you, Wendy, and take care and stay safe as you can. Also, I'm just reminding you also, if you haven't had a chance to look at the Chief Midwif Midwife's Bulletin, also on the resource sheet, it's full of some really good information, really good links and fantastic events. Most of them are um, virtual. So you can book up and, and there's a really good one in February, I think, on leadership, which is well worth booking in to, to, to attend. Fantastic to do so. Oh, I feel breathless after all that talking. I don't want to take too much time from my lovely speakers. That's the thing. Now, this week or this evening, we're looking at strengthening midwifery voices. And what a night to be discussing it. Perfect. We're fortunate in having two great midwives and they're taking a slightly different perspective. But I think you're going to find it really interesting and really relevant to you. So it's my pleasure to introduce first Dr. Alice Anion. She's an Associate Professor of Midwifery at City University in London. She's Fellow of the Royal College of Midwives and Editor-in-Chief, I love that phrase, Editor-in-Chief of Practicing Midwife. She's got extensive clinical and academic experience. She's a seasoned author, not just textbooks either, but she's written a couple of novels. So if you, you, know, if you want a day off from heavy academic work, you could have a look at some of her um, novels as well. And she's that she's done uh, now the, the most recent one is Bearing the Weight of the World, which sounds really interesting. That's also on your resource list. Loads of chapters, more journal articles and conference presentations. And you can throw a stick at. So it's my delight that she's with us this evening. 
So Alice, the screen is now yours and welcome. Thanks so much, Sue. So today I'm gonna to talk to you um, under the theme of Shine Brightly. And just to start, I want to acknowledge that women and people of diverse genders and sexualities may give birth, but the birthing people in the data and references I've used here are referred to as women. And so the terms women and women and mothers are often used to refer to them. And I'm also acknowledging that I speak from a position of inherited privilege relating to colonialized systems of knowledge, power and oppression. So I acknowledge the limitations of my ways of knowing. What I'm speaking about today comes from my perspective and I hope it's of interest to you. So all my life, I wanted to be a writer. I thought I could make the world a better place by creating stories to fill it with the pleasure I derived from reading. I thought I would like to occupy my life writing those kinds of stories. But as I realized as I grew up and through my life, that the world is actually made of stories. They are the building blocks of who we are. They tell us how to see ourselves and each other. And they give us the frameworks and patterns through which we make sense of the world. Throughout my studies, which led me to a PhD, I confronted for the first time what I believe to be life's greatest truth. The best stories are the ones we live. They are the stories grounded in reality that we tell ourselves and each other all the time. My favorite author once told me, write what you know. And she, she was right. The world really is made of stories. This podcast, this is a story I'm telling you right now. When you wake in the morning, when you step into your day, you are telling yourself a story. And when you walk into your workplace, that's a story too. The handover you give at the end of your shift, transferring a client. What is that if it's not a story about the people you've encountered during your shift? Everything we do is a story. And for too long, I believe, our storytelling has been limited and shaped by how others want us to frame our reality. Talking with colleagues um, throughout well, for the last few weeks in particular, I found myself discussing how we can move beyond the limitations of our past and even of our present to co-create a positive and relevant definition of midwife and midwifery by understanding more critically what that role really means today, now for us and for the women and birthing people we support. Yet too often we are poorly represented and even those of us with the strongest voices find themselves misinterpreted, misrepresented and vilified in the media. Our story is sometimes told for us, and I believe it's time we reclaim our own midwifery narrative and find more ways to share the wonderful and powerful reality of what it means to be a midwife. Because the media of all kinds tend to represent motherhood and midwifery in ways that reflect dominant cultural tropes, gender stereotypes, performative gender and parenting roles. And they ally these to institutions of medicine, which can, if taken out of context, limit the individuality of experience and expression that is everyone's basic human right. And for midwives, we are too often re represented in a sanitized and feminized manner, which undermines and diminishes the huge responsibility and skill inherent in our role. We are experts in the science of childbearing support. We use the best available evidence to provide high quality maternity care as part of a multifaceted professional team. Yet our expertise is not always recognized in the wider world. And what we see is that the ideologies of medicine in the UK become so institutionalized, they are almost invisible. And we only know ourselves through that ideology and are resistant to it. So just as women and parents' knowledge of and responses to pregnancy and motherhood have been constructed for them, so have ours through the stories that are inherent in our world, public and professional. 
And it's the availability of information, the scope to share so many stories by so many media that is a burden and a potential for midwives and mothers and parents to become emancipated and empowered. But the burden is that to share our media is to invite backlash that we too often experience, even from within our own ranks, because our views may challenge others, force them to question their deeply held opinions and their personal stance, and question the sureties that we all assume are a fundamental part of our role. If we are to be the guardians of safe maternity care, we should be part of the narrative that defines it. So what is it about stories? So my research into narratives has shown us that people without narratives do not exist. We seem to have no other way of describing our lived time except through stories, and we automatically use stories to talk about our lives. We create and co-create reality through the stories we tell of others and of ourselves. And we know that storytelling is important in providing a cultural history, sharing values, maintaining traditions. All cultures reproduce through narrative in whatever form that might take. We also know that birth narratives constitute a form of meaning making. They symbolically affect women's preconceptions of childbearing. And narrative construction, when we create these stories, it's fluid. What happens is we don't tell the whole story. So the narrative relies on the reader to fill in the blanks which means that we orient ourselves according to the expectations of standard narratives. And these narratives have, have the power to reinforce expected power dynamics and communication in their representation, particularly in their representations of midwifery and of birthing. So if we orient ourselves according to the expectations of these standard narratives, we're expecting to see the same story. And I know that you, you can relate to this. And perhaps we are defined by our own characteristics or those of the archetypal characters that we expect to see in that narrative. Any midwifery educator will know what it's like when a student says to you, oh, I came into midwifery because I watched Call the Midwife, because they see characters and they relate to them. But what that also can do is it can determine our action within that narrative. The power of our expectations can actually affect how we behave. Certain characters and certain characteristics can end up being part of the causal aspects of the plot. So some time ago, I carried out um, a narrative analysis of representations of birth, visual narratives in, in reality television programmes. I was looking at how these could be seen as powerful and defining narratives affecting people's knowledge, cognition, and even their identity formation. What I found, so I haven't got time to go into all the details here, but what I found was that women were represented in pain, in need, in positions where they lacked apparent power or authority. And often the visual focus was on the pregnant belly rather than the woman herself. So the, the focus was not on the person, but on what was happening in the womb. But also, more importantly for us, um, in this context, not overall, midwives are often represented in feminized ways, socializing, discussing trivialities, and in ways that minimize the experience of childbearing and their own skills, their expertise and responsibility. And I felt that this was definitely not something that we should be tolerating. So in these stories, if women are not represented as having agency or being in control, then we can see a difference in the power dynamic. And what you see is a typical narrative arc, a story shape that we see again and again in the media of overcoming adversity and the reward being that of becoming a mother but also that women were passive. They didn't birth their babies, their babies were born. I've noticed since I carried out this research, there's been improvements in televised represent representations of birthing. 
Um, but I still question how we are represented in those narratives. So what I felt from that research was that the story should focus on the woman's perspective and should explain how the actions of the midwife are supporting the woman's experience and autonomy and informed decision-making. And there should be clear representations of that process of decision-making because midwives should not be portrayed as simply delivering babies from women's bodies. I'm not gonna go through all of this because I don't have enough time, but what that research led me to was my own version um, of a test to look at birth narratives. So you may have heard of the Bechdel test for film and television. This is the Anian test of birth narratives. And the key point in this one is the last one, that when we're looking at birth narratives, are we seeing if midwife skills, knowledge and expertise are being diminished, trivialized or absent? And this leads me to question is, are we doing this as well in the stories that we tell about ourselves? We are shaped by the stories we tell and are told, and too many stories of motherhood and parent limit the ability of mothers and parents to express their identities. If in these stories our role does become diminished and misrepresented, misrepresented then we should stand up and take action, because the speed in which these narratives are now disseminated by the emerging technologies can lead to a lack of consciousness of how powerfully these communications are affecting the lived experience of motherhood, fatherhood, parenting, and the family, and the lived and working experience of midwives. One of the things that I've really noticed is that some of the stories that we see limit the expression of parenthood. And midwives are constantly caught up in a battle to support parents, to retain their autonomy and control during pregnancy and birth and to enable them to make choices that are free from any pressure to conform to medical expectations, but which are informed by evidence and knowledge. I feel that the widespread medicalization of childbearing um, can in fact add to this. We cannot just see the Western medical model as superior to other ways of knowing because it cannot be the only source of authoritative knowledge. We also need to challenge the inherent issues within our own cultures. Because as Elliot Mannering's um, research has shown, negative influences of cultural concepts of power and hierarchy on staff safety are significant within maternity services. It leads to fear. And fear results in negative experiences and, and impacts on pregnant people, stopping them from being able to birth in an empowered and confident manner. This discourse is couched in a history of colonialism and control which impacts on the well-being of everything. But safety in maternity care must derive from medical expertise and the expertise of lived experience, both of mothers and parents and of midwives, and should always be defined by our overwhelming commitment to human rights. We know that the power and hierarchy of the maternity care system can negatively affect staff safety, which affects patient safety, as Elliot Mannering 2021 tells us. So we are at a juncture where we should be standing up to define the narrative of midwifery, pregnancy, birthing and parenting as midwives, the experts in birth. However, too often our voices are silenced. So what if we saw through the eyes of midwives? What do midwives see? What if we made public and conscious the spiritual and other dimensions of midwives experiences, knowledge and practices? Could we reveal the power of the midwife's gaze from different contexts? Could we come to write our own story and re recreate the culture of midwifery? It's 
Speaking to colleagues at professional events, I focus on how each of our voices counts, and I'm always encouraging them to come and write for the practicing midwife. Even the in the face of potential censure or negative feedback, each one of you, midwives, student midwives, birth workers, doulas, doctors, educators, researchers, has a unique and valuable and precious story. No one can know what you know. The insights you offer through sharing your stories are powerful and valuable. You, we, are the collective wisdom of our profession, and we are sources of evidence as much as any other, because we are the professionals who take the existing knowledge, evidence, and experience and combine it to practice midwifery. A midwifery that is focused on being the best we can be under increasingly difficult circumstances. We are the living embodiment of evidence applied to practice. And of course, the voices of distress, inequality and oppression must be heard. The challenges, the hard stories, as part of the chorus of midwifery voices. All of your experience, all of your work should be shared and celebrated. And by listening to each other and hearing each other, we validate each other's stories. My research on student learning journals taught me that we are socialising our future colleagues into accepting the status quo by demanding that they situate themselves in the same stories and they adhere to the same conventions that keep us and the women we care for disempowered. Students shared stories with me of witnessing difficult, even horrifying things of women not given choice or agency, coerced into making decisions. They witnessed obstetric violence and they were horrified at their role in these situations and powerless to change it. I understand that feeling. I look out now on a professional landscape that has been ravaged by a range of factors where the ideals of woman-centered and safe care hover like ghosts of long buried dreams over the ruins of our professional lives. I look at the way we use language and I long for the empowerment of women and midwives. To shine brightly means for me the realization that everyone has a different perspective on the issues that we face in midwifery on normal birth, inclusive language, medicalization, midwife staffing, place of birth, women and people's rights, safe practice. And every single opinion, perspective and commentary illuminates our landscape and has something to teach us. So I say to you, speak, write, publish, share, let your light shine. So many midwifery and birth worker authors have taken that step, crafting new narratives and insights for us and giving us the gift of their stories. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up and speak up. And I applaud every one of you who does just that, wherever and however you do it. You are co-creating the great endless narrative and history of our profession. We are writing the living biography of midwifery through every word we say, every sentence, every scribbled note in a labor record. We may feel powerless at, to, at times to change the system, but we are the system. And the one thing we can change is ourselves. There is a light in that dark land and it comes from you. It's your voice speaking your truth that sings life into this professional world of ours. Change one word at a time. It takes time, practice and perseverance. It takes resilience and resistance. But you can change the word risk to the word chance every time you use it. You can change the way you give a handover, change how you write in your notes, change how you talk to your colleagues and how you talk to women and parents. You do not have to adhere to medical convention because what you have to provide are the facts. Write the facts in a way that humanizes both you and the mother, using the person's name always. Medical shorthand has its own story. Write your story and the story of that woman's pregnancy and birth in a way that reflects who you are. 
it's their birth story and you are writing it. So surely there are ways to do it better. Own your story and tell it your own way. But how you say? By letting your light shine. You have within you everything you need to be the best midwife you can be. So shine brightly. No one can dim your light because it's yours and you matter. If this is our ongoing story as midwives, ours to write and rewrite together, let's make it a good one. Do not fear making your voice heard. Do not be afraid to shine. We are here and we are listening. Thank you. It's just a sample of some of the things I've contributed to. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Alice. What I, th- I think it feels very exciting what you've been saying. And I'm kind of trying to make sense in my mind about how all this is gathered. It's, it feels like a huge, huge patchwork of, of voices, which is sounds fantastic. So to the audience, if you have a question for Alice, start putting it in the chat box and it'll come through to me here and we can have a dis- discussion after um, say has done her presentation, which is going to be slightly different, but actually it's in a way it's not, is it? <laughs> because it's it's a story. And we I have to say that that really your 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 words, Alice, really tuned in because I know as a midwife, we love stories. It means a lot more to us. It it illustrates if you have a, a lump of physiology, for example, if you apply it to a story of what actually happens, it becomes real for a midwife. So fantastic. Thank you so much. You can have a little rest now, Alice just a few minutes, and I'm going to introduce Sayi, who's with us this, this evening. It's my pleasure to introduce Sayi, who's a consultant midwife, a midwifery-led care and public health at the Princess Alexandra Hospital NHS Trust. She's had over nine years' experience as a midwife, as well as over 14 years as a, as a qualified nurse. She's very proud of being a nurse, which I think is fantastic, because we mustn't lose any of that proud pride. It's our story which is going to come, I know it's going to come from C anyway. Um, she's also got a master's in clinical research and a PG cert in practice education. She's got a wide range of experience, including managing projects, facilitating practice experience and working as a lecture practitioner also. So she knows how to juggle a very busy midwife life. So thank you so much for coming this evening, C. The screen is now yours. Thank you. Story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Susan, for um, having me. Um, and um, thank you to Alice as well for going first. And such a wonderful um, session that you've taken. So good evening, everyone. It's a privilege um, being here today. I would like to say thank you to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour Forum for this um, wonderful privilege. Um, so as Susan said, I will be talking about my story which is in a different from from what Alice has done so it's just telling you about my journey into being a consultant midwife um next slide please so in 20 2005 I started my journey um into being becoming a nurse so started in the school of um one of the universities and started my nursing which was very great it was exciting and um, suddenly we, I had the out-of-area placement and I got to know about midwifery and I'm like, wow, what am I doing here? 
don't get me wrong. I love nursing and I will not leave my nursing for anything. But at that point, I thought, oh, this is what I want to do. And as soon as I finished my placement, I went straight to the midwifery department, made inquiries. And um, the lady said to me, I can never forget her face. Um, Unfortunately, you can't switch because my idea was, can I quickly switch? Um, I think I was in my first year or early stage of my second year. I want to switch to midwifery. I know you need to qualify, become a nurse, and then you can start the journey. I said, okay, wow. Okay, awesome. That's fine. Oh, she said, you can either stop or you finish. So I said, no, as a Nigerian lady that I am, we don't stop halfway, we have to complete it. And also I went into nursing for a reason. So qualified as a nurse in 2008 and I worked on a gynae ward with the um, aim to become a midwife soon. Um, Next please. So um, went into midwifery quickly. I think at the time it was, you needed about six months um, experience, but I did um, a year, worked as a nurse for one year and I went into um, midwifery and it was going all right until um, a point where I kind of, so many things happened along the line and not personally, but within the organization that I was doing my placement. And also um, in my, within the university. And unfortunately, um, did my OSCE, didn't go well. And boom, I felt OSCE. And um, for the first time, I had to receive, failed the second time. And you know, within me, I was thinking, oh, there will be an opportunity to, because back in the days you, you have the opportunity to step up for six months and then you come back or you step up for a year and then you come back. But I wasn't given that opportunity. And I remember that, I can't remember the date. I purposely refuse to remember the date, but I can remember the month, February, 2011, um, 20 something, I received the letter and it was like the darkest day of my life. But um, the following day, I woke up and I thought, no, no one can stop me from being a midwife, except I stop myself. And um, I started reapplying again, literally the following day. I started reapplying to universities. And if you think about it, February, um, it was kind of late to start applying for a course in um, Feb that you will start in September, but I didn't give up. I called up universities. I can't remember how many universities I called, but I called as many as I could. And thankfully, I got into one um, September 2011, and I had to start all over again. So for me, yes, I had my nursing pin number. I could have followed that career, but I wouldn't feel fulfilled if I had not completed my midwifery and become a midwife. I'm not saying being a nurse is not fulfilling, but that passion, the fire was burning in me to be an advocate for my women, to be an autonomous practitioner. Hence, I couldn't give that up. So um, I'm sharing this. I chose, this is the first time I will share this publicly. I chose to share this just for anyone that is at that stage. It might not be your cost, but you might be at a stage of giving up. Always think about why you're doing what you want to do 
what is the reason? Never, never give up on your dream. Do not let your circumstance, people around you, or the organization, or anything whatsoever to determine the achievement of your dream. Next, please. So there came light at the end of the tunnel. You know, went into, did my major free all over again. And um, along the line, um, everything went okay. It wasn't all smoothly, but, you know, was one of the best students and I'm grateful to God for that. Um, just before I qualified um, at that time, I saw one of our lecturer, um, lecturer practitioner. And I looked at her, I said, mm, one day I would like to be like Sheila Baldwin. You know, um, she was very inspiring just like the way she was very passionate about teaching us, she will go extra mile. Um, and I said that, and I just forgot about it. So this was in 2012, end of 2012. And towards finishing my course as well, I, I asked one of the lecturers, I said, oh, I would like to do my master's. What do I need to do? You know, they advised me, not the art of midwifery before going into furthering your um, course. I said, okay, no problem. Know the art of midwifery. So, and they said, give yourself like two years. So I went into, um, so remember the student, the person that was stopped from achieving what she wanted to achieve, then became a bright student. And um, I didn't let down my, uh, my guard at all. I, did, I reflected on the bad experience and I learned a lot and I used that to, then, to my advantage um, in my in becoming a midwife. So by the time I finished, or even before I finished, three months into finishing, I got I had about three jobs waiting for me. So it was a matter of which one do I go to, you know. So and um, I then started networking at that point, you know, talking to colleagues um, from other trusts. When I meet someone, you're doing midwifery, keep the contact. The power of networking is very, very important. So um, being the kind of person I am, wanting to do more for my women, wanting to always provide safe and um, effective care, I finished my preceptorship um, program quickly. So in choosing the trust I worked in um, at as a midwife, nearly qualified midwife, um, I looked at the preceptorship program. Um, you know, that was my um, determining factor you know, to look at the um, preceptorship program. And that was what made me choose the trust I went, I um, worked at. So finished my preceptorship quickly and it was a matter of what can I do next? You know, there are some opportunities that will be lying around. Sometimes if you don't put yourself forward, you won't be able to take them up. And that, those are the things that will give you voice as well. So one of the things I did afterwards was aside speaking to people, from speaking to people, I was able to um, deduce what I could do to be able to contribute towards the care of um, the women. And one of the things I did was I volunteered to do some auditing, working with the risk midwife. And, um, you know, participating in audit as a um, fairly newly qualified midwife at the time changed everything about my practice. You know, um, you change my reasoning, um, the, my documentation, oh my God, went to another level, you know. Um, I was very cautious about the things 
that I did, the way I um, provided care for my women. I was very, um, you know, I was more particular about the guidelines as well. You know, so he, he, he awakened the critical um, reasoning in me, which was a great thing. And um, everyone, remember I talked about wanting to do master. So after the first year, my lecturer that said two years. So I was running with that two years within me that, okay, two years. So after the first year, I'm like, I need to start thinking. By the time it was 18 months, I was a bit restless that, okay, I need to do my master's. But everyone I spoke to, when they asked me, what do you want to do your master's in? I'm like, mm, I don't know. I just want to do a master's, but I don't know what I want to do a master's in. You know, and at that point, it was as if I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do a master's. And then the opportunity came to do um, for research. Next, next, please. So I had the opportunity to do a master's in clinical um, research. It was a journey getting onto that as well. Um, so I call it opportunity because my tuition fee was paid for. They paid my salary for one year and they paid um, the trust to keep my job as well. So for me, even though at the time, I didn't really, every student on this call would tell you, I don't like research. I was a qualified midwife then, and in us, research would not be my first to go um, module or course to do, you know, but I saw it as an opportunity that, hold on a minute, I'm not gonna lose anything doing research, Rather, I would gain from it. It's going to advance my um, practice, my knowledge, and everything like that. So anyway, went to um, clinical research, developed loads of skills. This was my supervisor um, in the corner. Um, you know, it gave me opportunity to not just carry out um, primary research, but it widened my um, network, my career prospect as well. And then went back to my trust to do some other things. So opportunity came up. Next, next, please. So opportunity came up for um, to do quality improvement, work as a quality improvement midwife. However, it was an expression of interest. And this was at the same band six. So I'm telling you all this so that you wouldn't let any opportunity pass you by. And as a band six midwife, the, the best thing would be to go and work as a band seven, you know, but I saw that as an opportunity that it would add to my um, career achievement, add to my knowledge, and also um, empower me to be more to um, the women I am providing care for. So um, I kept going for all these opportunities around me because of the passion that I had in me. Other things that I did was mentoring, supporting not just students, but my other colleagues as well, um, especially the newly qualified. I was very inquisitive about what is going on within um, the trust. Um, how can I, what can I change? You know, I um, put myself forward to work voluntarily, like on my days off with the education team, because a student said to me, have you ever thought of um, teaching? And I never saw myself as a teacher at all, you know, but that statement changed everything for me. I kept developing myself, sharing. And also for me, it was about being a role model as well. Next, please. Um, so that 
comment that the student made led me into, and also the people around me. So remember, I talked about the power of um, networking. The people around me, my friend, Natoya Mambi at the time, and my mentor, um, Adio Lafilani, they called me. I was in Nigeria then. They called me and said, oh, there's a job going on. So if I take you back to the, to the beginning of my, um, my presentation, I talked about Sheila Bordering. So Sheila had now retired, and this was her job. Remember what I said in 2012? This was 2017. You know, so they called me and said, oh, I should go for the job. And I said, and I came back, I, I thought I would do it. But anyway, I didn't go for it. And then shortly after, I, they, didn't, they were not able to recruit. And then I went for it. And I was able to um, get the job. But when I went for the interview, the only thing I could talk about were the things I did voluntarily. You know, in my spare time. So imagine... Yes, I had done my master's in research, but that is not enough. There are times that you might have to go out of your comfort zone. You know, speaking up, um, being an advocate is not just about doing things routinely. Sometimes in order for you to be able to speak up, you might have to, not in a very challenging way or confrontational way, you will need to, you might need to step out of that comfort zone to be able to be the best advocate for your woman. So me doing those, the things I did voluntarily, I was able, because there were some other people that were well, way experienced than myself that attended this interview. But um, yes, grace of God is there. But for me, it was about what have you done? Interviews is not about answering the questions, but what are the things that you've done? And that goes with our jobs as well. If you want to be the best practitioners, what are the things you're doing outside your daily long days, um, early shift, night shift? What are the things you are you adding to your practice? Are you adding to your knowledge as well? Being a lecturer practitioner was fantastic, aside for the admin aspects. Um, <laughs> Alice is smiling. Um, yeah, so aside for the admin aspect, I love teaching. And I still, and I'm still going to continue to teach. Um, next slide, please. And then afterwards, 2020 was not my year at all, in the sense that, you know, I got to at one point, I, as you can see, I'm I'm young and um I get sometimes I, I like challenges. So sometimes I get bored, you know, um, and I I I I love um challenges. If I if, if I'm not being challenged. I just move on. I want to, I want new experience, you know. So 2020, it doesn't mean I I I I don't stay long in my um if you want me to stay longer with you, give me more challenges. I just love challenges. Anyway, 2020, I thought it's time to move on. And um I went for different interviews, you know. <laughs> um it was difficult, it was very difficult, but one thing I did not give up. You know, I kept reflecting, getting feedback. Some feedback, you know, is not right. Then they're, they're not saying the truth is because they've got someone. But I didn't let that deter me. The, I, I was focused on my goal. What do I want to do? How can I be more? How can I contribute more to um, the midwifery practice? How can I be a voice for my woman? You know, so anyway, I went on to um, becoming a practice experience facilitator. Um, in order to be able to, and I enjoyed that aspect as well. 
it was outside major free. It gave me an insight into the corporate nursing world. Um, I continued with my teaching as well. And along the line, I then saw an opportunity to work. It was a six-month secondment. Um, and I didn't let that six months, the fact that it was six months to determine. I saw it as an opportunity to um, further um, add or contribute to the transformation plan. Um, so I worked um, for the local maternity system, and that changed the narrative for me um, in my career. You know, it reminded me of the passion for midwifery, and I thought, okay, this is it. We are going down this lane. So next slide, please. Um, everything that I've done or achieved, yes, one, through the grace of God. Um, grateful to my family for their support, especially my mother. Um, but the support and networking with the Nigerian Nursing um, Charity Association UK and also Society of African and Caribbean Midwives I can't, I, their the support was so great. Like it was, I needed, you know, like talking to mentors uh, and I'm still utilizing that to date. Interview, um, mentorship, even my line manager at the time, um, Kitoriaki, she was very fantastic. You know, um, Marsha, I can't mention all my mentors, you know, they were very, very supportive. And that, if you want to go higher, or be not just going higher, going higher doesn't necessarily mean being promoted. Sometimes you might want to go sideways or you want to have a voice. You need that mentor. You need a mentor in your career journey. You need someone to guide you and support you. My time is almost up. Um, next slide, please. So I am very grateful for these two associations. Um, please, next slide, Amy. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, we are, you know, the journey has been not so smooth, but we are where we are now, consultant midwife. It is indeed a great privilege, you know, being a consultant midwife. It has been my dream. The first time I applied for a consultant midwife role was in 2019. I didn't get it, but I didn't let that discourage me, but I did not apply for it again until this year. And I didn't get it immediately as well, but for me being a consultant midwife was not just being, was not just about being a role model, but I wanted to be um, able to support the clinical, um, be part of the clinical leadership and also provide clinical um, expertise as well, support the midwifery um, team and midwifery and obstetric team, the entire maternity team to be able to provide that safe and efficient care to our women to, and also to change the narratives for our midwives and be able to, one of the things that I, I hope to be able to start in my role as a consultant midwife is a journal club, bringing to light the importance of evidence-based practice within the maternity um, unit. And um, I'm very delighted about this because that is the vision and aim of um, the the leadership of Princess Alessandra. So they're very in full support of it. Um, next slide, please. So we can all have dreams, you know, but when you don't do anything with your dream, it remains a dream. Achieving your dream is about working hard and being determined. No dreams come to fulfillment without you working towards it. 
And remember what I started with. Regardless of what your challenges is, regardless of what people say about you, never let the light in you die. Never let your passion go to sleep. Keep pushing and you'll get there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Say. That's lovely. <laughs> My goodness. We've had passion. We've don't not giving up. We've got evidence-based practice all coming through. We've had safety and we've had light coming through as a lovely theme all the way through. So thank you so much. Now we've had we've had a comment, which I'll get to start with, which from Ruth Sanders. Hi Ruth. She says, wonderful to hear your journey. So valuable to hear about the voluntary elements speaks on to how midwifery is in our core and ever present in our lives, work and own time, etc. So that's that's just for you, Sayi. And I think um, we've got lots. We've got other comments. A comment from Emichi Atlanta, Atlanta. Sorry, Emichi, and she wants to say, I want to say thank you, Alice. That was so beautiful and uplifting. I resonate with a lot of it in my beliefs and found it really refreshing to hear from someone experienced. So those are two comments that have come through. We've got a wee question. You don't get away with any questions. And this is from Kim Watts. Hi, Kim. And I agree with Alice in that our own use of certain terminology as midwives is often damaging to ourselves and used against midwives in commentary by others. How do we embed this in our educational programs at both undergrad and postgrad levels effectively? Now, that Kim, that's a very nice, easy question to give to Alice, isn't it? <laughs> I think. Um, okay. Yeah. Don't 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 hit me with the hard one straight away, Kim. Thanks. No, no, um, no. <laughs> I've been trying to do this. I've been a midwifery educator for 17 years now, and I've been desperately trying to to work with this. It does start with us, and it does start with role modelling. So it starts with us changing our scripts and our um, ways of working, um, ways of using words, for example. Um, and it's hard at the beginning because it's not habitual. But one thing we do know is if you keep doing something, it does become a habit. Mm. So now um, my language has changed. I would say you start, so you start with yourself and with the things that you produce. So um, using the active voice rather than the passive voice is a really good thing. So when I mentioned in my talk that, you know, women should be um, represented as giving birth, as birthing babies themselves. In the words that we use, we can use active. A woman is doing this, a midwife is doing this, not it was done to them. Mm. That is a good thing to start thinking about. The other thing is, is really to, to be yourself and to discuss these issues from the beginning as a human. Now, you mentioned earlier, Sue, that, you know, we can get a lump of physiology and then you tell a story and it comes to life. And it's true. It is so true. It's one of the reasons I love teaching because I get to keep telling stories. In fact, it's very pertinent because the other day I was teaching physiology and got distracted telling stories about birth and then thought, oh, I should be teaching physiology. But I would say it is about bringing your authentic self and your journey and struggle, just as, as Shay has just done, your journey through this and how, what you're trying to achieve to the people you're teaching and working with. Um, and just keep saying, look, we've got to keep trying. So can we try and say this? Can we try and say that? Say this now, say that now. And change, but you have to change it in yourself. And also, we talk a lot about evidence-based practice. There is evidence there to support our teaching practice um, and to change the words that we use and to change um, the sort of the structures that we, we are putting on our teaching. So 
draw on that, draw on the evidence that talks about the discourse of midwifery and the power relationships in midwifery. Um, I think it was the Jackson et al. reference in my reference list where they, they looked at the discourse analysis of power dynamics of interactions in professionals and women. You know, draw on this kind of evidence to teach students what to look for and then to say to them, so it's okay for you to start to question how you can do that differently because that is part of our ongoing reflection. Mm. So, yeah, there, there are things. To, I mean, there's a lot to do. It's a lot. And I can't answer that question. <laughs> but I do think that it does start with just one step at a time and being compassionate towards ourselves that we can't change everything in the click of a finger. Mm. I mean, I guess it's the trying and the, some of the hard work about it, which say really expressed so well, mm-hmm. is just keeping on going with it. Yeah. And, and when you were talking, Alice, I was thinking, well, one of the most powerful things to get students to really understand how to mm-hmm. talk to women is mm-hmm. doing experiential learning, isn't it? Yes. And getting them to act as the mum, yes. not just act, but feel what it feels like when people mm-hmm. are, for example, talking over you yes. or treating you, so, you know, not telling you where the loo is and that sort of thing in, in yeah. an alien place. We get very yeah. used to that. No, that's fantastic. Thank you. I've got um, another uh, query from... George Brooks. Hi, George. This is Alice. My teaching runs over every time, as I always want to contextualize theory with examples from practice. The students love it. And say midwives need inspiring stories such as yours. So keep sharing. So George has given you both a a sort of comment, really. (laughs) about. I don't know if you wanted to add anything. I mean, I love this thing of getting a bit distracted telling stories because it's and in a way that the kind of story that you told is very gripping because it's it's got so much in it about not failure but not achieving what you want immediately and just keeping at it and knowing that that's what you want to do and I think the passion that came through mm. actually from both of you is so inspiring it's wonderful yeah. You're going to say something, say, I could say yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Susan. Um, I think, you know, sometimes when, you, when you're stuck in a situation or in an environment when you're made to feel you're not good enough, mm. you, can be eas- you can easily get carried away. And um, it's, it wouldn't be good for you to just throw out your or forget about your, your dream or your passion, you know, never listen. I mean, sometimes when you get those criticism, there might be an element of truth for me. Reflect on whatever has been said and then believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, no one can ever believe in you. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the main reason why whatever the dream you have, as long as it's positive and it's gonna add to humanity, keep pushing you will surely get there. Joe Biden has wanted to be a president of the United States of America for so many years. Mm. He didn't get to achieve that until his old age. Mm. I hope we won't get to our old age, but regardless of when you get there, (laughs) just keep pushing. You will definitely get (laughs) Well, as you were talking, say, I was thinking... Actually, what's what's quite difficult, I think, and it's as it's it's kind of was focused on by Alice, really. The middle, the fact you're it's very much as a woman. I don't know how to put this in really good words, but 
the not good enough that you're talking about, say, I think is very kind of in, inbred almost in yeah. women yeah. and girls. Yeah. And it's that's something that's really incredible. Do you think there's anything we can do to kind of change that balance? Or maybe I've got it wrong, but I get the feeling from a lot of things that are said mm. and following Twitter that girls mm. are not necessarily pushed up as much as boys. Um, unfortunately, something that has been from the olden um, days, I'm going to use my grandmother as, a, as um, an example. My grandmother is from a, um, an affluent um, family. Um, her father was very um, rich, but for whatever reason, decided not to send um, the, his girls to school mm-hmm. um, and um, only educated the boys because the girls are going to get married one day and bear another man's name and drop his own surname. And looking at my grandma today, she's very intelligent. Um, Like even just finishing just a secondary school level would have Mm -hmm. added more to our life and reshape Mm -hmm. a lot of things. Um, I'm, I'm glad that things are changing. The narratives are changing for women these days. And, um, I want to say it's, yes, unfortunately, it's still the same in some cultures, but hopefully by the time we look back in 10 years' time, the narrative would have changed. And the fact that you're a woman does not mean you are less than anyone. And looking at the military workforce, where like 90-something percent of the military workforce are women, but it does not make us less that the obstetricians. Um, it's very interesting that we're having this show, um, this session today, because yesterday at the um, SOAC network, one of the networks that I, I feed into, um, we we talked about es- um, the escalation mode of a, mm. um, of a black woman, like when you're caring for a black woman um, or even any patient, how do we escalate the care of um, this woman, if there's any deviation from norm. Mm. And from the conversation we had yesterday, it's about speaking up loud. Mm. You know, when you speak to co- coordinators or the registrar, go above. It's, mm. We are there as the woman's advocates. We are the voice of this birthing people and their families. You know, mm. if you look at the care cup reports, there's so many things that have happened. And if you, if you review, I've not had time to read it properly, but from the new few things I've picked up, there's some midwives that they've, unfortunately, things, they most of the blames will go to midwives. Mm. And that's because doctors, they know how to support themselves mm. and, co- and be able to overcome some challenges. But we, as midwives, we need to work together. Mm. We need to... Um, let our voice be heard at every level. If mm. I speak to you as the coordinator, you're not, and the, and the registrar, maybe I'm in the middle of the night on the night shifts, and you're not giving um, providing the right care to this woman, I'm going to pick up the phone and call the on-call manager. And everything I'm saying will be documented because if you cannot, if you're not listening to my voice, then my documentation can always be written. I mean, we read in future. So it's about ensuring that we provide the right care for our women. That's fabulous. No, that's fam- fabulous, say, because that's that's really important because just as we work together with our medical colleagues and we need to respect each other, 
mm-hmm. but we need to know because the olden days there used to be the hierarchy you reported to your SHO so your senior house officer then the registrar but I mean nowadays if you don't get the response from your registrar you would go to the, the consultant not feel as though yeah. you know you were you were doing anything wrong but Alice was nodding away say to you I don't know if you wanted to add anything mind you I might Just- have to throw another question in a minute <laughs> just um from what say you said um the thing for me is that we need to support each other mm. so it's all about solidarity and supporting each other as well because if we're feeling like we're not good enough then why are we feeling like that and one of the ways we, ways we cannot feel like that is to tell each other how good we are you know people will be quicker to complain than they will to praise but we should be constantly praising each other and lifting each other up um, that way we cannot keep sitting there thinking oh i'm not good enough because we are we showed yeah. up, so we are good enough. Absolutely. Well done. Thank you for that. That's lovely. Really positive. Okay, I've, I've just got a couple of questions or comments. We've got Ruth Sanders. Again, this is second bite at the apples, Ruth. How do we change language during training and then role models to others, other students in a coaching environment, in practice learning, and offer consistency across all areas of learning, both practice and theory, challenging indeed, but important essential work. I'm not sure if that's a question or a comment, Ruth. I think that might be a comment and thank you for it. It was a good one. Okay, and Jane Marshall, hi Jane, says, truly fascinating. Absolutely, I agree. Alice, and these stories relate to craft of midwifery that should not be eroded with the negative press that only focuses on condemning midwifery practice, how can midwives be empowered to share their stories without fear of media trolling? Now, that's wow. a really good question, Jane. Thank you for that. I don't think there's an answer to that, Steve, <laughs> but I do think that, mm. that, you know what I said earlier about um, taking care of each other? Mm. I think that's where it starts, because if we look after each other, we can deal with the trolling from the unpleasant mm-hmm. people. Um, it's never nice to be trolled. Um, never at all, but I do think that we need strong voices and we need strong outlets um, to not be, mm. you know, to be supported by each other to share. And there are so many good midwifery publications that are there mm. to help you voice what you want to say and platforms that you can speak on, like this one. Yeah. So you know, it's about having the confidence to say it's okay, actually, for me to speak up. What I've got to say matters, and that goes for every midwife. If we believe that then the positive stories are going to outweigh the negatives. We're going to bombard the stratosphere of the internet with constant positivity. With positivity and shiningness from both (laughs) of you. How wonderful. Thank you. Now we've got, I'm I'm, I'm trying to, because I always say this hour goes fast so quickly, so quickly, and it's come to an end really. And and I've just got a question uh, from Amina, Hi, Amina, who says, from your experience, if we need to scale up midwifery as a profession in Egypt, what would be a good starting point within a powerful medicalization system and a strong, powerful obstetric culture? Wow. Amina, that's quite a big question, I think. Uh, And I don't know if let's have a a quick response from Alice and then say for that one. Quick response from me is to build your evidence base for yourself. So start um, showcasing and celebrating the work that you do and publish it. Get and build your evidence base because that is your tool to wield more power within the system. So that's my response. No, that's good response. How about say? Um, I agree. I totally agree, Alice. Um, in addition to that, I believe 
It's about reviewing the curriculum as well for the midwifery practice mm. in Egypt, you know, um, in order to be able to change what are the things that they're teaching them and also how does he, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between theory and practice. If you're not able to link them together, it will not go a long way. So it's about reviewing that aspect and also building up the confidence as well. You know, evidence-based practice is very, very important and um, increasing their knowledge. Mm. It's not about what the doctor says. This is what evidence says, and we'll go with that. Fabulous. Now, you see, I've given these these two fantastic speakers really tricky questions, and they've just answered them brilliantly. Fantastic. I'm just going to say a few comments. Adelaide says, this is a really positive midwifery story from you both, especially in this difficult period. I can see the passionate and courageousness in you, say, keep it up, keep sharing these amazing stories. Fantastic. Thank you. And Juliet Samuel. Hi, Juliet. Both presentations serve to identify what passion, that passion is important, but also the support system that hold us up and allow us to support and empower our clients. Well, I have to say our speakers this evening have been fabulous and our participants and our audience have also been fabulous. So thank you so much to our wonderful speakers and thank you to, to you for watching. I'm just going to remind people and I think our speakers have really highlighted the importance of this of looking after yourselves and I know I say it a lot and I really mean it we need to look after ourselves but also our colleagues so look out for each other at the moment I want to say a big thank you to Alison Sayi also to Amy who's behind the scenes and Paul and Deborah who also behind the scenes making sure everything's running smoothly Lots of resources available. This will be on Facebook and the podcast will be out on Friday. Next week, we've got, we're looking at um, teaching and learning in the global classroom with Molly Haskey and Nicola Lovett. So that'll be good. Same place, same time. Um, and don't forget to book for Midwifery Education Under Pressure on the 3rd of November, which I think is going to be online now because guess what? There's a strike. But we support our colleagues in other, other facets of the community. So we, we can cope with it. Then we've got student experience event on the 9th of November from 10 till 4. And of course, if you want to go to Edinburgh, the Scottish Festival face to face and also online. And that's on the 29th of November also. And in the meantime, please stay safe. Take care of yourselves and we'll see you next week. And thank you to everyone for being here. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.